Praise the Lord. What a wonderful worship tonight. I want to get right into the word of the Lord because I'm excited about preaching to you. I feel like during the last 24 hours, the Lord's been speaking to me about a certain thing, and I begin to kind of just get off of my notes a little bit and begin to do some exploring, and God gave me a prophetic word over the church. And, um, and the prophecy that I'm going to be giving over the church is going to be an absolute true prophecy because it's not a prophecy for me. It's a prophecy from Scripture about the church in the last day. And when, God, when the word or the Scripture reveals the prophecy, you can count on it coming to pass. How many knows that? It will come to pass. So you need to be excited about what God's fixing to say to us. I'm going to build my sermon. It's going to be a little bit of teaching, preaching type of a thing until we get to the place that I feel like the Lord really wants me to bring forth. There's some things that you and I got to do in order to be able to be a part of the last day church. There's an apostate church of the last day, and there's a real church of the last day, an authentic church, the true body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I've got a sermon that I've been itching to kind of pull out and polish it up a little bit about the apostate church in the the last day. There's definitely going to be a revival taking place among the apostate church and there's going to be a revival taking place of the true church at the very same time. And sometimes we, our minds cannot grasp that or comprehend that. But that which is going to be dark is going to be dark and that which is going to be light is going to be light and the gray area is going to be done away with and you'll know what's true and false by literally because there's going to be a distinct difference between them. We're seeing that even in our government right now. You're seeing those going to the four right and you're seeing those go to the four left. And I want to tell you what's going to happen. The middle ground is fixing to be dissolved, and it's going to be a four right thing, and it's going to be a four left thing. Can I have an amen? And what happens in the natural is something that usually begins to happen in the spiritual, and God is setting the church apart from the world in the last days. It's not going to go out as a weak church, but it's going to go out as a glorious church, and I'm going to be a part of that church. Are you? I said, are you going to be a part of that church? John 16 and 7 is our text. If you want to stand for the reading of the word tonight, John 16, verse 7, one passage of Scripture, very familiar passage of Scripture. But Jesus said, but I tell you the truth, it's expedient for I to go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. May the Lord add the blessings to the word of the Lord and let the anointing of the Holy Spirit be upon the preacher tonight. And I pray that every ear and every heart would be receptive to the call and the mandate of God that's coming upon the church in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. You may be seated. You know, from the time that Jesus called his disciples and the time of his ascension to the right hand of the Father, the Lord, the Lord almost all the time was constant, he was a constant companion with his disciples. And during his public ministry, Jesus wrapped himself around these 12 guys and involved them in the ministry for one solid purpose, and that was to mentor them. He chose 12 of them. He told them to forsake their nets to follow him. He called them out of different various situations, and he wrapped them around him. He put them into ministry. He sat with them. He ate with them. He slept with them. He spent time with them for only for the sole purpose to mentor and to teach them so someday that they would be the representatives of the kingdom of God on earth. And let me say this, they became that because in the book of Acts they had the testimony that these men do turn the world upside down with their doctrine. They became powerful men of God. As they traveled and preached the gospel of the kingdom of heaven Jesus not only taught the public but he was doing more than just teaching the public and ministering to the public but he was ministering to those 12 men. He was saying you watch me, watch 
child flow. Can you imagine walking around with Jesus and him being your mentor? Well, that's what these 12 guys experienced. And this was connected to the pattern of what they called the Jewish rabbi. The Jewish rabbi did not just teach by the word. He was not just a scriptorian that got up and taught you the law, but he was also a man that was like an apprentice who would pull you aside and he would mentor his ministry out before you. That's what a rabbi teacher is. And Jesus himself called himself rabbi. John the Baptist called him rabbi. Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin court, called Jesus rabbi in the book of John chapter 3 verse 2. It says, then Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, Master, a rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher that come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou doest unless God be with him. It was Nicodemus that recognized him as rabbi or as teacher. Nicodemus recognized Jesus as the one that was sent from God and a teacher that was divinely appointed because of the anointing that was upon his life. And the confirmation of that anointing was found in the miracles in which he did. That's what Nicodemus said. Truly you are a rabbi, you are a teacher, you're the one that come from God. And the way that I know that is by the miracles in which you accomplish. And matter of fact, this is why it's said of Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. I'm sorry I'm going fast because I'm a little bit excited of where we're going. Hang with me. Just put your ears in overload, okay? We're going to go fast tonight. But it says, and it come to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at Jesus' doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Did you hear what that scripture says? He taught as one having authority and not like the scribes. He was telling them that the scribes did not have the authority, that they did not have the anointing. Let me tell you something, folks. There are people with the anointing and there are people that have religion and they do not have the anointing of God. It's just nothing more than just religion in itself. That's why that Paul said that in the last days there'll be people that have a form of godliness but they'll deny the power thereof. They won't have anointing in their ministry. He said from such turn away. But it was Jesus' desire to teach and to mentor people, mentor people in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How many realize that? That Jesus wants to mentor and teach people how to flow in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. His heart has not changed. It's the same yesterday and today and forever. What he desired among them 12 men, he turned it into 70 men. He turned it into 120 men. He turned it into 5,000 men. He turned it into 8,000 men. And on and on to multitudes became anointed of the Holy Spirit and the gospel was preached around the world. Well, let me tell you right now, God has not changed in his desire to mentor people into the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So that tells me this, that God, the master teacher, the rabbi, that one that comes along here to help us is here to do nothing more than to anoint you and then mentor you in that anointing of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to know how to flow in the anointing. He wanted to raise up representatives for the kingdom of God. That's who you and I are. We're, we are the representatives of the kingdom of God. We represent heaven. Can I have an amen? However, while Jesus was on the earth, he was limited. How? There was a limitation to Jesus Christ. He was the son of God. He was God robed in human flesh, but here was God limited. Why? He was limited by flesh because of his physical body. To actually send his disciples to be the witness to the ends of the earth would actually require his glorification to the right hand of the Father as intercessor. But it would also require for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to come upon his disciples according to the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth. The Bible says that the anointing and the power comes after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus understood that him being limited by his physical body that he needed to send the Holy Spirit who's not limited. Can I have an amen? This is why that Jesus told them it is expedient, it's necessary that I go away. For if I go not 
not away. That comforter, that Holy Ghost will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So this is the key to it all in this church. That Jesus has gone away. He has sent the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is here to do the work that Jesus Christ started. And he's going to, and that Jesus Christ initiated. In the Gospel of John, Jesus simply taught the apostles about him sending forth the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. And the Spirit's ministry that's to be involved in their lives. The Greek noun for comforter is parakletos. And it actually simply translated as paraclete. It literally means called to one's aid or come to one's side or come along one's side to help them in their time of trouble. It literally means to come to their rescue. How many of you want God to come to your rescue? How do you many of you want God to come in along your side to help you, to gird you under, to come to your aid and to your rescue when you need it? This is used in a judicial sense, this term. Therefore, it is frequently translated in Scripture as advocate, pleader, or intercessor. So this tells us two things. Number one, this tells us that even though Jesus is at the right hand of the Father as our heavenly intercessor, as our high priest, we also have an earthly intercessor right here on the earth. Jesus is pleading in heaven our case before the throne of God, and yet the Spirit is pleading our case right here on the earth. We have two intercessors, an earthly intercessor who has called the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, one alongside to help us, and then we have Jesus, our high priest, up in the heavens also interceding. The Bible reveals the Holy Spirit's intercessory in and among the believers in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Did you hear that? The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. He is a helper. He's the one alongside. That's why it says he helps our infirmities. But it goes on and says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself make an intercessory for the Spirit, for the saints, with groanings and moanings that cannot be uttered. The letter of the Bible says that the Spirit of God intercedes for us with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. And verse 27 says, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit maketh intercessory for the saints according to the will of God. Am I going too fast? You're looking at me like a, a, a cow staring at a new gate. You're just sitting there like that. Hang with me because we're building a sermon. The Bible just simply states that when we don't know how to pray or what to pray in certain situations that come up on our lives, I have been thrown a lot of different things at my life. They ask me questions and sometimes I'm stumped. Just because I'm a preacher, just because I've studied the word of God in my whole life, there are times that I don't have an answer to some of the people's questions and I have to take it before the throne of God and I got to find those solutions or I got to find those answers to those problems. And can I tell you, there are times that situations arise that I'm simply overwhelmed by the circumstance and I just don't even know how to react. I don't even know what to do. And while in that overwhelming moment, the Holy Spirit is supposed to come alongside of me to help me in my time of need. And he does it by through moanings and groanings inside of me that cannot be uttered. That word cannot be uttered means that I can't understand it. It's a language that I don't understand. It's with moanings and groanings that I begin to pray unto the Father. And it is the Holy Spirit's anointing. It is the Holy Spirit coming upon me and giving me the unction to pray in a language that I don't understand. Not tongues, but with moanings and groanings. Have you ever heard anybody just moan and groan? And you think, what in the world's wrong with those people? Sometimes they'll scream. Sometimes they'll yell. You know what's happening at that very moment? The Holy Spirit has moved upon them. They're overwhelmed by a certain weight or a certain problem, and they don't know how to pray. They're overwhelmed by their circumstance. But the Holy Spirit, the earthly intercessor, comes upon them and comes 
to their aid, comes to their rescue, comes alongside of them and says, you don't know how to pray, but I know how to pray because I search the deep things of God. They are revealed to me and I'll show it unto you. And the Holy Spirit takes the believer and the believer begins to pray with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. Every time you hear somebody in this church that is under moaning and groaning, heavy, it's the spirit travailing through their lives. Groanings and moanings are acquainted and associated throughout scripture with travail. What did the Bible say about travail? Many places the Bible talks about travail. When Zion, talking about the church, how many know Zion represents the church? When Zion travails, what happens? Sons and daughters are born in the kingdom. Can I tell you that when people are under the heavy burden of travail, you know what's happening? They're birthing spiritual things. Something significant is happening whether they know it or not. They may be burdened, they may be overwhelmed, but some of the greatest things that happen in Pentecostal services is not when somebody's running the aisles with a victory lap, that's when the people are moaning and groaning because it's that moment they're in a push stage and they're birthing something in the kingdom of God that God is allowing the Holy Spirit, the agent of the Holy Spirit is using them in a travail in the sense that they're birthing something for the kingdom of God to bring God glory. Groanings and moanings are acquainted with that travail. Travail is, in, in, is a word used within Scripture over and over and over, speaking of a woman that is in labor pains during childbirth. How many of you women have ever had a child? Did you go into travail? I can't hear you, ladies. Oh, yeah, you got a travail. You're ready to smack somebody's head off you're in such travail. I know. I've been through those situations. But travail in Scripture denotes the pain and the sacrifice that's not involved in the, in the natural birth, but also in a spiritual birth through intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is not easy. It's when men and women get under the heavy burden that they don't understand and they don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit moves upon them with groanings and moanings and like a woman in travail with a child, they birth through pain spiritual things within the kingdom of of God. That's what God's moving upon the church right now. It's called spiritual travail. It's called intercessory. And this is what God's doing even among our church. God called us to prayer over three years ago. And I want to tell you that prayer that started out as petition and that petition went to supplication and that supplications went to intercessory. There are more people interceding in our church right now than ever before because God is bringing up intercessors in these last days for what? To birth something in the last days that it might be manifested on earth right in front of our eyes. You're not getting this because God's about to manifest something right now that we've been travailing over for three, three years. Can I have an amen? God's about to bring it to pass. Things don't come cheap. And let me tell you, when you see God moving in a church, it's because behind the scenes somewhere, there's people travailing. You come in here on Tuesday morning during the morning of the women's prayer meeting and you hear the travail. I want to tell you, it echoes down through these hallways and it echoes, and there are young women there, there are old women there, there is uh, uh, all kinds of different walks of life there and God is raising up intercessors for the palace of praise. The palace of praise is an uh, instrument, a, a unique instrument in these last days to where God can entrust it with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered so that he can literally birth something in the kingdom of God that it might be manifested, his will in heaven be manifested on earth as a result of the travailing church at the Palace of Praise on 1400 Herschel Boulevard. Can I have an amen? Amen. Give the Lord praise. Now here's where it gets interesting. Because Micah chapter 4, we see a prophecy concerning the establishment of Christ's kingdom. 
And it also, it's, it's a prophecy about the peace and the restoration of his people. How many's ready for some peace and some restoration? He's giving us a prophecy. He's saying, hey, guys, I want to establish the church. I'm going to give the peace to my people, and I'm going to give restoration to my people. How many wants to see people restored in the kingdom of God? Hallelujah. We've seen that Saturday. If you was not here Saturday, you missed one of the most powerful services ever in the history of our congregation. Oh, I want to tell you, it was just marvelous. It wasn't marvelous in the sense that the power of God come down and shook the building or anything like that. But with my naked eye, I seen three or 400 people come through here who needed restored from drugs and they're bringing them to the palace because God has entrusted us with a last day harvest of people and he's bringing the spirit of restoration back to the church through the palace of praise. Give the Lord praise for that. Hallelujah, yes. Cassie King and Dan's doing a wonderful job in their ministry. We ought to applaud them. Give them a hand, a hand clap of appreciation. But Micah 4 is not only talking about the establishment of Christ's kingdom and the peace and the restoration of his people, but then we see that he's given the pronouncing of victory upon the church. How many is ready to see the church have victory for a change? Amen. This is what God's doing right here in these last days. Micah chapter four, verse one and two. I don't know if they could put that up there. I should have gave them an overhead earlier, but the Lord just dropped this stuff in my spirit right before I come to church, actually. And in Micah chapter four, verse one and two, it says, but in the last days, say it with me, in the last days, in the last days. All right, well, we know what the last days is. Jesus told us where the last days was. The last days is the days that started after Peter preached at Pentecost. That in the last days, my spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. And then it was, uh, it was Peter that stood up after the outpouring of Pentecost and said, these men are not drunk as you're supposed to. It's only the third hour of that. But this is the, that which the prophet Joe spoke about, that in the last days, it was the establishing of the, first, of the last days. So listen to me. At Pentecost was the beginning of the last days. So how much more does that make us at the end of the last day air? We're at the midnight hour of the last days. Can I have an amen? We're at that 11 o'clock hour when Jesus is about to come come back again. But we know without a shadow of doubt that the last days is speaking of the time right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. So he says in the last days it shall come to pass. Say it shall come to pass. It might not. It, 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 he didn't say it might or it, 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 it could or it, it, you know maybe it can. No, no, no. He says it's going to come to pass. What I'm about to preach to you is going to come to pass. Whether or not that you and I experience this is going to be determined of whether or not we're a part of the apostate church or whether we're part of the true church of Jesus Christ. And I want to be a part of the true church where this prophecy fits me. Amen. But he goes on, he says, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. Let's stop right there. That's not all of the scripture, but let's just stop right there for a minute. Mountains represent what? It represents spiritual high places. Here it tells me that in the last days, right prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the church no longer will be a base, but it will be exalted. That God's going to exalt his church. Hey, is anybody listening to me out there? I said, God's about to elevate and exalt his church. Are you not a part of the church? Then that means that God's fixing to exalt and God's fixing to literally elevate your life. 
because you're a part of the body of Christ and you're going to be elevated into the high places of Christ. That's where we're supposed to be seated anyway because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are to sit in spiritual, spiritual places in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That you and I are to be in those heavenly places anyway. But he goes on and he says not only shall the, the church be exalted, it's no longer going to be abased and looked down upon and it says and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. Now we have a problem, a promise that something's going to happen because of the exaltation of the church. It says people are going to take notice of it again. Hallelujah. It's no longer going to get, be hard to get people to come to the house of God because people are going to take notice of what's taking place. It's going to have the earmarks of the anointing so strong that people are going to pay attention and say, hey, the presence of God, the ark of the covenant has come back to the house of God. Hallelujah. Whoa, come on, somebody help me preach. Hallelujah, I'm about to preach. If I'm, if I'm gonna preach this sermon, I'm gonna get happy, so you might as well get happy with me, okay? Whew. Hallelujah, it's deep in my spirit tonight that in the last days, God's gonna exalt his church. He's gonna put it up in spiritual places. He's gonna put it up in a, an elevated place, and then people are gonna flow unto it. People are gonna notice it and come running back to the church. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 14, he said that we are a light of the world, a city that's set on what? a hill that cannot be what? Hid. That is a prophetic word. That's not just a general statement. I want you to know that Jesus did not just give you a statement there. He gave you a prophetic word that the church is to be elevated and exalted to where we're a light on a hill and we cannot be hid by the forces of darkness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That scripture has been used over and over and over and over and over to the, uh, to the palace of praise in a prophetic sense more than I can even count. Preacher after preacher, prophet after prophet, apostle after apostle has come through and they've used that scripture to describe the palace, Josh. Just the other day, um, I was driving a guy in the car, it's been a while back, pulled up the driveway, whoa, stop! He screamed in the car and he started crying and weeping. He said, you're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. You're the light of the world. And he started crying. You know how many preachers has done that to me driving up that hill? It's unbelievable. Last Saturday night, the young man that gave his testimony said that the Lord gave him a prophetic word over the church and he used that scripture concerning the church and he literally said, he said it with his own mouth and I believe the prophecy to be true. He said that the dome represented the liberty bell and liberty's coming to the palace of praise and liberty and freedom's coming to the house of God. Can you believe that with me? Do you believe that as the body of Christ, as the members of this congregation, that you are a city that sit on a hill, you're a light of the world, you can't be here. The anointing can't be quenched. The Lord, the anointing can't be rejected. The anointing can't be despised because it's gonna be real, it's gonna be powerful. And then he says, and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his path for the law shall go forth out of Zion, go out of the, out, forth out of the church. He is causing his law to flow out of the church and it will teach us the ways of the Lord and we'll walk in his path. There's gonna be a revival of the word of God again among the saints. And you're gonna hear me preach about that the last week of this month done got the sermon done and I can't hardly, I've had to put it on postpone for two or three weeks and when I preach that I'll be so excited to preach it, I'll probably blow four or five veins doing it. Amen? Woo! There's a revival coming back to the study of the Word of God. 
Amos said there would come a day when justice would fall on the streets and there would be a famine of the hearing of the word. And we have seen that earlier back, years and years ago, where the word became the famine because preachers would no longer get up and preach. But God said in this last day anointing, he's going to cause the preachers to get up and preach the word of God again. And when people flow into the church, they're going to hear the word of God. It's going to teach them the ways of the Lord and they're going to walk therein and they're going to find the paths of God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Give the Lord praise for that promise. God says there's going to be changed lives, transformed minds. There's going to be renewed hearts in the last day in the church because of the preaching of the word of the Lord. Amen. This is exactly what God is doing right here in this time. And this dispensation right here in this very church. We're living in the last days when God is glorifying his church with his presence and with his anointing. It's a manifestation season as Brother Andre said. Folks, this is exactly what God's beginning to do right before our eyes if you can't see it. You know what? Last Sunday, we had the statistics are saying that out of a spiritual church, a good spiritual church, that only about 10 out of 50 people actually get ever filled with the Holy Spirit. We've already had 15 or 20 filled with the Holy Spirit in the last two weeks. We're breaking every statistic already. You know, something's moving. Something. Oh, there's a lady right over here that received the Holy Spirit. There was one right over here that received, one way back over there that received that I prayed with personally. And a woman testified to me right before the church and said, the glory of the Lord was all over her this morning. You, you know why? It's not about feeling and it's not about how good the delivery of the preaching is. It's about the response of obedience to an altar to seek the face of God. And when you seek him with all of your heart, he shows up. Because if you're drawn out of him, he'll draw out of you. He'll bless you for your obedience. Hallelujah. Can I have an amen? It's not about something coming out there and capturing you and drawing you up there and giving you frenzies of good feelings. It's about obedience to God with a devotion in a heart that says, I love you more than anything. And when you put forth that effort, God blesses it. Can I have an amen? He's beautifying the people here at the Palace of Praise with his glory. You believe that? How's this going to come about and why are we seeing it in these last days? Listen to the Micah's prophecy in chapter 4 starting with verse 9. Now, why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. He begins to ask the church a question. He says, why are you travailing and crying the way that you're travailing and crying? He says, is your king not in among you? He's saying, hey, is there no counselor among you? Why are you praying the way that you're praying? But then verse two, he says, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion. In other words, he's saying, yes, there is a counselor. Yes, there is a king still among you. But he says, I've got you right where I want you to be. He said, the pains that you feel is actually orchestrated and divinely and divinely created by me. He said, be in pain. How would you like to, how, how many like to be in pain? None of us do. But that's where the church is at. You know where the palaces of praise is right now? We're nine months pregnant. It's affecting everything about us. We're in pain. Our back hurts, our spiritual back. It's affected our looks. Our bellies is big. <laughs> Amen. I want to tell you, right now, we're in the pain of delivery. And God comes down and says, be in pain, old church. Be in pain. He says, and labor 
push, press to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, that which I've impregnated in you. Hallelujah. For now thou shalt go forth out of the city. Now, here's where it's getting interested. He says, now, church, I want you to know that I've given you something inside of you that you're birthing. And you know what? The end result, this is where it's going to lead you. You want to know what God's fixing to birth in the church? He's going to, it's found in the leading of the Holy Spirit after we push and bring forth. After we push and bring forth, you know what it does? He says, and now thou shalt go forth out of the city. Speaking of Jerusalem, which is also symbolic of the church. He said, you're going to go out of Jerusalem. You're not going to stay in Jerusalem any longer. For now thou shalt go forth out of the city and thou shalt dwell in the field. You're going to the harvest. Woo! Hallelujah. He said, when you get done pushing and when you get done laboring, what I'm about to birth is there is a fresh anointing coming upon you. Just like I anointed my disciples in the early church to bring about the early church and bring about its creativity, even so, you're going to bring it to a a closure. You're actually going to bring it to the place where it becomes what consummated in the spirit to where the next thing on the agenda that God will be able to receive it into glory. Can I have an amen? That God said, as I used the earlier disciples and anointed them to turn the world upside down, he's saying, when you become full pregnant and after you push, after you deliver, that deliverance is you submitting to an authority, submitting to an anointing that causes you to leave the church and go out into the harvest, to go out in the field. And then he says, not only are you going to go into the field, and thou shalt even go to Babylon, the place of captivity. I looked at that and I thought, God, what are you saying? He said, there shall thou be delivered or be the deliverer is actually the translation. And there shall the Lord redeem thee from the hand of your enemies. I love this. Watch this. God's saying this to the church. Let me paraphrase what he's saying. Keep on laboring. Keep on pressing to bring forth. Keep on travailing in labor pains. There's a counselor. There's a comforter among you in this day. There's one that is by your side to help you and come to your aid. Keep on crying aloud. Keep on interceding. I will take you out of the four walls of the church and cause you to get in the field of the harvest. I will place you among your very enemies and there you will experience deliverance and I will redeem thee from your enemy. And I will also set you as witnesses against your enemy to where you will bring deliverance in the place of captivity to those that are bound. Oh, hallelujah. And the end result is, look at verse 11. This is something we don't like to hear. Verse 11, now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. In other words, what they're saying is, let her be defiled and let our eye see it. Let us see the fall of the church. Let us see them be mocked. Let us see them be ridiculed. He's saying every seductive, lustful, deceivable, seducing thing's gonna come against the church in the last day. Hello? Now that ain't very encouraging, is it? Here we are pushing, here we are laboring, here we are interceding. The next thing we find out, we're out in the harvest, we're beginning to win souls, people are flowing into the church, things are happening, things are hopping, and all of a sudden it stirs up an enemy, it stirs up a devil, and the devil says, let her be defiled. And let her eyes see her failure. Here comes the accuser of the brother. Folks, if you don't think that ain't already beginning to start, it's already starting. What's happening in the natural is also a sign of what's happening in the spiritual. The way they're attacking our president because he stands against abortion 
and because he stands against homosexuality and because he stands against transgenders and he begins to say marriage is between a man and a woman. Come on, somebody. He stands for religious liberties. Come on, he does. He's fighting more for the church than anybody else. I'm telling you, the world hates him. They lie. Everything you turn on is negative about it. It don't matter that the economy's blowing out the roof. There's not one good thing. It doesn't matter that we stopped Korea from having a nuclear bomb. It doesn't matter that we dissolved our, 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 our one of the worst disastrous uh, uh, things that we, that we agreed with, with, with Iran and destroyed all. None of that even matters to them. They hate him. And you know what happens? That same force that's against him spiritually, it's against the evangelical church who got him elected. It's not an opposing him. It's opposing the light that is behind him. Can I preach all right? Let every deceivable thing, let every lustful thing, let everything come and let's try to sneak into the church and defile its leaders. There's a war on We're sitting here and saying, well, God, what, that ain't encouraging words out of us because you ain't read verse 12. Verse 11, he says, all hell's going to come against you. Isn't that what? It's the same thing that happened at the early church. He looked at them and said, some of you are not going to see the kingdom until you taste death. You're going to be martyrs for me in many cases. He told them that. He said, you're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be brought before kings and magistrates. That's what he told the early church. Let me tell you, history's repeating itself. The very same thing they went through is what the church is fixing to go through. Are you with me on it? The very same thing, the very same pattern. But even though the enemy underestimated the early church because the more they persecuted, they said, the more the word of God was spread and the saints multiplied. Hallelujah. If the persecution had not come, the disciples would not have been scattered abroad and the gospel wouldn't have been preached to all the different nations. Can I have an amen? amen? And God's saying there's gonna be persecution come against you like you have. You think you've been persecuted and tempted in the last 20, 30 years? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm warning you. It's coming. It's here. But listen to verse 12. But let me read verse 11 one more time. Now also many nations are gathered against thee they say, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon it. Let us, our eyes witness it. Verse 12, but, say but. but. I like them buts in scriptures, don't you? But, in other words, the period ain't come. The close of the hour ain't here as of yet. I like that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah, I like those buts. It says, but they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel, for he shall gather them as the sheaves under the floor. Oh, hallelujah. You see, the enemy has misunderestimated God's love and God's thoughts toward the church. They have not known the thoughts of the Lord, neither have they understood his counsel. The enemy has underestimated God's protection from their devices and their effect to defile her. In other words, though the enemy comes in like a flood, yet God will raise up a standard against her. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You are made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself. Can I, do I need to keep on preaching or are you getting it? 
You see, the problem of it is the enemy thinks we'll take her out, we'll defire, but they have not known the Lord's protection and the Lord's love and his thoughts and his counsel toward his church. God has sent his counselor, his comforter, his paraclete, one alongside to help us in our time of need. The enemy may have a true estimation of the church years ago because it has been cold, it's been indifferent, and it's been full of apathy, but they have felt, but he's failed to estimate the power of the counselor that's been poured out in these last days upon the church. The Holy Spirit, the agent of God, is here to push us through and see us through and shield us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. Do you understand that God is doing a work in the church by his Holy Spirit right now even as I speak? Do you believe that? If you believe it, say yes. yes. Say it louder. Yes. The comforter, the counselor, the paraclete has come alongside the church to give her aid in her distress. He is to help her in her time of infirmity, in her time of weakness, in her time of every seducing thing coming against you. Yet God says, I'm gonna help you, don't worry about it. I got this. I'm your rear guard, I'm your shield, I'm your buckler, I'm your high tower. You don't have to worry about this, I got it. I got it under control. Come on. I'm not gonna leave you without help. I'm not gonna leave you without a comforter, without a counselor, without a paraclete. I'm here to help you through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not limited by his physical body. He's everywhere at all times, so that means he can take care of every one of us at the exact same time. Amen? As he leads us, our intercessory, Romans 8 and 27 reveals to us that he will only make intercessory for the saints according to the will of God. Amen? Even though we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, yet when we're needing the divine protection, we get moanings and groanings, you know what that is? It's praying the will of God through the Holy The Holy Spirit only prays the will of God. Listen to what 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. In other words, if we get under the burden of intercessory prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit only intercedes the will of God. And if we know that God, he's praying the will of God, then we know that God hears us. And if we know that God hears us, then we know that we have the petition that we desire of him, that he's here to answer that. This is why the church will have spiritual results in the last days because of the work of intercessory that's taken place in the church through the person of the Holy Spirit. They will have whatsoever they ask in the spirit because he only prays the will of God. When Jesus said in our text that he would send us another comforter, he also promised in John 14 and 6 to his disciples before he departed, he said, I will pray to the Father and he should give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I quote that quite a bit because it's one of my favorite verses. Notice that Jesus used the term another comforter in describing the Holy Spirit. The word another is significant because it's a Greek word that means another of the same kind or one of the self-same sort. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm gonna send you a comforter that's just like me. Now these guys have been used to have the master with them. And Jesus is sitting there looking at his disciples. He says, don't worry about it, guys. You know, even though Jesus is going away and the disciples were fearful and they were afraid, Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be upset. I'm gonna send you someone that's just like me. He's gonna have the same anointing. He's gonna have the same power. He's gonna have the, do the workings of the same miracles. The only difference is he's not gonna be with you here and there. He's gonna be with you always. Amen? The only difference between Jesus and the Holy Spirit would be the limitations of Jesus due to his earthly body, but with the Holy Spirit, there is no limitations. So that means that he's an ever-abiding presence with us. That's why he can say, I will never leave you nor forsake you because the Holy Spirit is forever with us. Amen? That's why David said, whether can I go to flee from your presence? 
If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the uttermost parts of the morning and fly out in the midst of the sea, behold, even there thy right hand and thy left hand withhold me. He says, there's no way that I can flee from your presence. Why the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, blessing everybody at the very same time. He's not only at my house, he's over at Ricky Cochran's house. He's not at Ricky Cochran's house, only he's at John and Deborah Sells' house. He's not just at John and Deborah Sells' house, he's at Bill and Louise Marvin's house. Everywhere you go, there's the Holy Spirit. There's that paraclete, that one alongside to help you. This is why that Jesus says it's expedient, it's important that I go away. Because I can only be here in one spot at one time. Look what Jesus is doing here. He's sending the Holy Spirit as the agent that will empower the church to become more like him. He's mentoring the church. Did you hear that? Instead of Jesus taking 12 men and pulling them aside, Jesus is taking the Holy Spirit and pulling the millions together. Isn't that wonderful? He's not only going to anoint them, but he's also going to teach them how to flow in that anointing. How many wants to know how to flow in the anointing? The way Jesus mentored his early disciples is the same way that the Holy Spirit is going to mentor now the body of Christ, the church. Hallelujah. He's mentoring us. You're in a work in progress. You don't even know it, but you are. The Holy Spirit's working on your life whether you know it or not. You may not see him working. You may not understand he's working. It don't matter. He's there and he's working on your behalf. Even when there's times that you are so clueless that he's in around, he's interceding on your behalf. Later, Jesus said in John, this is my favorite part and I'll come to a close. Jesus said in John 15, 26, when the counselor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, he'll testify me. In other words, he's going to speak what I tell him to speak. He's testifying about who I am. That's all he does is he speaks and glorifies Jesus Christ. Now, listen to what he says in, that, in chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. When I seen this, I thought, God, that is so powerful. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. I want to stop right there, and I want you to grab a hold of these two words. I have much more. Say much more. Say it again. Three's a good number. Say it one more time. I want you to get that into your spirit. Because I'm telling you, when the Lord showed me this revelation, I, I, I just about started running in my house. I mean, this is powerful stuff. I've really never noticed that before. I didn't notice in the context of the way that God showed it to me. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. He's talking to his disciples, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of his own, he will speak only that which he hears, and then he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus says, and this is why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Now, I've always preached about how that the Holy Spirit receives from Christ and shows it to us, and he's a great revelator, he's a great teacher, he's the one that brings inspiration, he's the one that brings information to us. Oh, we know that the Holy Spirit does that. But do you understand something different here that we've never seen before? Maybe you've seen it, and I've just been blinded of it in 32 years of studying. And that is, do you understand that we are in what we call the much more dispensation? Say it again, much more. You think what the early disciples had was good. Hey, we're in the much more season. Are you ready? Do you understand that in the last day period that we, say we, are going to have things revealed to us 
that the disciples could not have revealed to them. Jesus told them, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, disciples. But when the Holy Spirit has come, when the paraclete has come, he's going to show us the body of Christ, the much more things that he cannot speak to his disciples about. The things he speaks and the things he reveals will not contradict the word of God, but it will lead us in the paths of righteousness to bring about the glory in the last days. This is the awesome time of revelation of the Spirit. He's going to show the church how to flow in the anointing and he's going to show us how to do greater works than what Jesus did. He's raising up a church that is full of his glory. Oh, hallelujah. He's raising up a spiritual church. He's raising up an aggressive church. He's bringing up a daredevil church that won't be sitting in familiarities. You'll step out on nothing at his command. He's raising up a church that will learn how to flow in the spirit and that will operate under the gifts of the Holy Ghost. He's raising up a church that will finish the work that he initiated. He's raising up a church that will be indispensable because the gates of hell will not prevail against it in the last days. He's raising up the body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church that will represent him on earth and bring glory by their works upon the earth so that all men might see and fear and reverence the Lord. (coughs) They're going to be a dead, intimidated, lukewarm, passive, frail, unholy, uncommitted, weak, defiled church. It will be a church with all of her glory. Will you stand with me, please? I tried to preach fast. I think I just slipped a gear. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. We're standing at the threshold of one of the greatest revivals in the world. The much more is coming. The much more, the greater works is coming. Are you listening, church? And he's entrusting it to people like me and you. You may say, I'm not a Peter. I'm not a Paul. (laughs) You know, I'm not like them great disciples and the great apostles No, you're Kent, you're John, you're Joe, you're Sam, or whoever you are. You're a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're just as of value, important as Peter, Paul, or anybody else is. And if God can use a rooster in the New Testament to crow to give Peter a message, he can use us. If he can use a mule to speak to the old prophet, I want you to know he he can use us to speak to people. Can I have an amen? Balaam got spoke to by a mule. Can I have an amen? I won't use the term that the Bible says because some of you will take it offensively. It's the bottom seat where you sit down. That's what he called it. And I'm here to tell you today that God is saying, Palace of Praise, I have sent the Holy Spirit to you. You're in the month of nine-month pregnancy. Keep pushing, keep interceding because different people are birthing at different seasons and times. And Elizabeth... And a Mary were pregnant at the same time, but they delivered on different days. But everything they delivered was delivered for a purpose in its timing to bring about what? The purpose of setting up the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. John was the forerunner. He had to be birthed first. Some of you are birthing things first because God's entrusted you with that word. Some of you are carrying a little bit longer because God's saying it ain't time for you to birth as of yet. 
But everything that God has impregnated in this body individually, God is letting you right now to learn how to come under the umbrella of the intercessory of the Holy Spirit to where you can birth and press and push because you have the counselor there to help you. And then when you do, it's going to energize people around you. It's going to help mentor and train and disciple. And people are going to get under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They're going to feel the weightiness of the call and the mandate of God. They're going to start witnessing. They're going to start preaching. They're going to get on the phones. They're going to share to people. They're going to tell their testimony. They're going to tell their story. They're going to write new songs. They're going to sing the songs of Zion. And when they sing it, the anointing is going to fall upon people and their neighbors are going to look at them and say, they're just different here lately. I don't know what's taking place. And before long, the church is going to get noticed. It's going to be exalted. People are going to run to the palace of praise. And then when it does, oh, hell's going to break loose against us. And we're going to fight demons and devils and seducing spirits. But it doesn't matter because God says they don't understand how I look upon the church. They don't understand the counsel that I have. The counselor will be in your midst at that time to take care of you. And we're going to have one of the greatest explosions in Papa Bluff. Woo! Yeah! That's the Holy Ghost in Southern Southern language. Amen. I'm ready to see it. If you believe it with me, you're going to help respond with me tonight by seeking the face of the Lord. Huh. We got to have the Holy Spirit, Susan. This thing is a work of the Holy Ghost. This thing can't be manufactured and engineered, my men. It can't be mimicked. It can't be mocked. We can't find out what other churches are doing and say, oh, let's run over there and find out what they're doing and bring that back here. It won't work. Nadab and Abihu tried to do that and they lit strange fire. Can I have an amen? And it brought judgment. The same spirit that brought blessing the day before brought judgment because Nadab and Abihu lit strange fire and tried to mimic what the priest done to bring about the blessing. They'd done everything that priest did. The only difference is God was in one of them and God wasn't in the other one. We got to have our own work of the Holy Spirit right here in this church. And everybody in this building's got to come under the conviction and under the, you can say, well, you don't get convicted to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. I'm saying God convict us for not wanting the Holy Spirit because that's sinful in nature. We need the Holy Spirit, Bill. We've got to have the Holy Spirit. We cannot survive without him coming alongside of us, enabling us, coming to our aid and coming to our rescue. This is an all-out assault of war. That's why Jesus told them early disciples, you get in the upper room and you tear there until you endure with power from on high and don't you leave. Amen? And God's saying that to the church right now. What's coming upon the earth is not going to be good, disciples. You're going to be hated of all men. You're going to come under the scrutiny. You're going to become martyrs. You're going to die for the cause. Peter was so, so compassionate about his Lord. When they went to martyr him, they were going to crucify him. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified by my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. Have you ever just got on your head in a corner and stood up and let all the blood rest to your head? You can't stay there three minutes. Peter was hung upside down until he died the suffering, grueling death of being a martyr for the cause of Christ. Many of them were sawn asunder. Many of them were tortured. Many of them were tied between two beasts as a sport in an arena and they'd whip the beast and the beast would pull and they'd pull them apart. 
And they said literally some of them disciples sat out there and the legs would go one way and the hips and the bodies would go the next and they were talking laying there with no legs or no hips being torn apart. They were boiled in, 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 in tire and in, in water. They were tired and feathered. They were tortured for the sake of the kingdom of God. And yet, the word of God increased and multiplied because of that persecution. And I'm telling you, we better have the boldness of the Holy Spirit in the last days. The same spirit they needed is the same spirit that we need tonight. There's a part of me that wished I would have preached that here this morning. Everybody in the in the, in the church world needs to hear this message because it's serious. He's entrusted us. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ the way Acts 1 and 8 says it? But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. How many wants to be that witness? Do you really? You know what the word witness means there? Martyr. It means martyr. It means to be killed. Do you have enough boldness to allow that to happen? Got enough faith? Got enough endurance? Got enough persistence? None of us do without the Holy Spirit. Only by the grace of God coming alongside of us, enabling us at that moment, are we able to bear up under such burdens that's coming upon the earth. I'm telling you, our president... He may not be the man of God that God wants him to be as yet. You know, the prophecy talked about what's happening. He will not go in to pray a man, but before it's over, I'll make him a praying man. I know why he's fixing to pray. Look at everything he's coming. He's got ice in his veins. I'll tell you that man, he is, he's stronger than anybody I've ever seen. And God is telling us as the church, you better become strong. Be endued with power from on high. Receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Don't be a passive Christian. Don't be a mediocre Christian. Don't be just Christian by name and title, but be it by example, by the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Be an agent of the kingdom of God. Be a living apostle. Be a living epistle where all men can read your life and then it'll literally reveal your Father which is in heaven. Amen? I ask you tonight that if you want, if you feel in the burden to intercede, there's different kinds of feels. I feel it in my heart tonight. There's some feeling the burden. You feel the weight of it because you can see the darkness coming upon the land. Isaiah 60 and 1, I, I got to quit preaching. But Isaiah 60 and 1 talks about in gross darkness and the times of gross darkness, that's when you shall arise and shine for your light has come. It's when things get dark and bleak. Amen. And God's saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. This is the last day harvest. This is it. Be a part of it. Be an agent of it. Be one that's got a sickle in his hand, <laughs> ready to reap that which God has literally planted right before our eyes and entrusted us with. God's entrusted us with this region. God's entrusted us with this region. And I'll tell you this, that if God can't raise up a church in St. Louis, they'll drive all the way from St. Louis just to come to church at Popper Bluff. I'm telling you the truth. That's how powerful God wants to set deposits in houses that are houses dedicated to him throughout this land. It's holy inhabitation that God's bringing. And I want you to be a part of it. Will you join me tonight around this altar seeking the presence of God? Would you say, oh God, help me right now tonight become an agent of the kingdom. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Let the paraclete come alongside of me. God, would you enable me for the task that's ahead of me and for the persecution that's coming against me?